Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, the 1030 crowd, you guys are always so, like, well-slept because y'all wake up at 9, and it's so good. Have already had your coffee. Um, hey, so today, Pastor Jim is on vacation, and so he is in Tahoe, but we are going to continue our series through When Life Gives You Lemons. He did want me to say, just so you guys know, that if you go to midweek, there will be no midweek this week, so please, just please understand, he's just, he's recuperating, rejuvenating, reading his Bible, and he'll, he'll have an excellent moment when you guys come back the week after. But today, Today, we are going to have, uh, this is kind of a really fun Sunday because we get to talk about when God made lemonade, all right? So this is kind of the hopeful message. And so what I want to do is I want to show you guys with Joseph what he does to be ready for when God opens the door, how he gets there, what it is that he does when God does open the door to then get him what we're going to call true riches at the very end. I'll explain all that. But first, I don't know how many other men in here are you, you might conceal this in your own life because you don't want people to know, but is there any men in here that love a good love story? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. Don't be a shy. Raise your hand. Say you love God. I see you in the back. All right. The, the, other, the other, I see you. Thank you, sir. All right, you brave men. All right, the other men are liars. It's fine, all right? It's good. I love a good love story, okay? I'm not going to deny it. I love a good love story. I will often ask other people how they met because I just think it's so funny. Like, like the circumstances that had to go to to meet the person that you love and that you decided hey I want to marry like I think it's funny and so I'm going to tell you my love story with Amy okay and this is how it happened I'm from a little town in Tascadero uh, and I moved to Costa Mesa to go to Vanguard University anybody know where Vanguard University is all right so that's where I went but I came at a strange time see most kids come in the fall but I was a transfer. I went to community college first. So I was a mid-semester transfer. So we came in the spring. And when you come in the spring, that group, that welcome week, that whole idea of like that first week of college and, you know, they, they kind of introduce you to everything. Well, that it's, it's kind of a really small group and they kind of do it, but not really. And so this small little tiny group of people that transferred into a small college in the middle of the semester, we all kind of became friends. And so uh, a couple of us had met and then we're all like, hey, everyone meet in this place called the Catalina like lounge common area we're all going to meet there and we're just going to kind of talk and get to know each other really quick so we all meet there and I take a seat and I, I can tell you I know exactly where I was I was sitting on a couch and everybody's getting there and then to my left sat this gorgeous angel right it's right there she's sitting right there and I'm like wow she is so beautiful. I need to know who this is. And so, and we're about to do names. So I know I'm going to catch her name. So we go around, we do names and it gets to, to her and she says, well, my name's Amy. And I'm thinking, Amy, what a beautiful name, right? Like that's <laughs> what a perfect name, right? And then I, and then at this moment, I just need her to know who I am. Like I need her to recognize the person to her right. Okay. So I say, well, what's your last name? And then she says, Navarrete, all right? But like with like an accent. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And then I knew she was Latina and I knew this was on, right? I was like, let's go. I was, about, I was like, yes, the Lord has blessed me. I went to Vanguard my very first day. I'm gonna see my wife. This is awesome. How much, how much more could I get from him? And so, so you know, we're kind of talking and, and I'm looking over, I'm kind of stealing glances at Amy and she doesn't notice me at all. And she's texting on her phone and... 
and not like the cool texting, like, because someone was like, we didn't have texting. And I understand, I had texting, so I'm not as old as some of you. But um, we didn't have like where the full letters were. So all the people in your 30s, do you remember when we had to like type in three and some of you were like addicted and you could do it like with your eyes closed? Do you remember when you were like that? So, so she's texting like that. And then someone asks, who are you texting? And the words that came from her mouth broke my heart. Do you know what they were? Texting my boyfriend. Now listen, I'm not, listen, look at me. I'm not like a boyfriend killer, stealer person. Like I can't do that. So I was just gonna have to wait this thing out. So, um, so I was like, all right, you know, we'll just be friends. And, and we were friends. We went all through the semester. And then one day, like really close to the end of spring semester, right when we're all about to go on summer break, um, I was walking by and we had this little place called The Cove and, and, and I saw Amy and our friend Brittany and they were sitting there. And so I was like, oh, I'll just sit with them while I'm waiting for class to start. And, um, you know, I sat there and, and Amy looks a little down and I was like, hey, what's wrong? And, and then the words that I wanted to hear, <laughs> right? I just broke up with my boyfriend. And now listen, I'm smart, okay? As much as I wanted to be like, hey, what about me? Um, I chose, I chose, I was like, all right, hold on. We gotta wait, okay? So, but, but then I know it's gonna be summer, so I know she's, we're not gonna see each other, and I don't want God to restore their relationship. And so I had to like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna work this? Um, so, so I was like, I planned it out. I was like, all right, I'm gonna call Amy in the middle of the summer so she remembers who I am. And then, you know, hopefully things, you know, will progress, I don't know. And so I call her and we had the most awkward conversation because I had no reason to call her other than please don't forget me, okay? Like that was my whole reason of calling. And so we have this super awkward conversation and I get off the phone, I'm like, oh, this is not going well. But then I think, all right, I'll have one more, I have one more effort and it'll be the day that we all move back to Vanguard. So I'm like, all right, so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fake like, hey, I'm getting there early just because, and I'm helping other friends move in just because, but then I'm gonna text Amy and say, hey, when are, whenever you're moving in, just let me know and I hope you move in, right? Because I'm a good Christian boy. And, uh, and so I was like, so I, I kind of plan it all out and I was like, hey, when are you moving in? So she kind of tells me uh, the day, but she doesn't know what time. So what do you think I did on that day? I got there as early as I could, right? I got, my room was ready right and I was waiting I didn't do it like people were like hey you want to go no I gotta be I'm gonna stay here I need to be ready right and I was hoping that text would come and about one or two o'clock it came hey I just got in do you want to help me I said oh I guess and I ran over there <laughs> right then I did what every good Christian boy does you find the heaviest thing and you can lift it right that's what you're looking for right so I was looking for all the book boxes and I was like all right I'm gonna take all these book boxes so I got all the books of her twilight series and I started hauling them up and I started taking them up and and I was like you could see I was struggling like honestly like you could see I knew I looked like I was struggling and uh and Amy was like are you okay but what am I gonna say no I'm not okay I'm gonna say no I was just I was lifting so you know I just a little just a little weak right now so I got all those boxes up there and then they start having me look around and they're like oh we want to move our bunk beds over here and I'm like oh of course and then they're like oh do you think we could like stack them on top of each other they're asking me if they should stack things on top of each other and I'm faking it. I'm like, oh yeah, look how sturdy. Oh, I could just tie a zip tie right here. It'll be fine. They could have died that whole semester. I wouldn't have, I could have killed them. I don't even know. But I just had to look the part, right? But the, but the point is like when, when Amy texted, I was ready, right? Like I was like, all right, here we go. I'm hopping over there. I'm gonna help her because I knew that my window of opportunity might not be that big. So I had to impress her as much as I could. 
And a couple months later, we started dating and we've had 12 years of glorious uh, marriage ever since. So I won. <laughs> That's right. Take notes, single men. Get with it, okay? And I say that whole story because that, not this exact situation, but the situation where Joseph needs to be ready is happening to him right now. So go ahead, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be in verse 14. I'm just going to give you a quick little synopsis of what's kind of happened just before this story, all right? So Joseph has been in prison, okay? Remember, he got thrown in prison because Potiphar's wife lied about him. So he's been in prison. And then two years, this is what we know, is that two years have passed. We know he's been in prison longer than two years, but we know two years have passed from the time that he interpreted the dreams of a cupbearer and a baker, okay? And the cupbearer promised him, because the cupbearer had a great uh, ending to the interpretation of his dream, and the baker did not. He died. So cupbearer, who's still alive, said, hey, when I get out of prison, I will tell Pharaoh about you. So it's been two years since the cupbearer has been let out of prison after the promise he made to Joseph. So for two years, I want you to think about that. For two years, every single day, Joseph had been sitting there probably thinking, is today gonna be the day that that cupbearer is going to tell the Pharaoh about me, okay? A promise was made to him and yet he waited two years. But I want you to see what Joseph does as he waits. And that's what we're gonna be talking about a little bit in this first point. So, um, it happens that Pharaoh has a dream. He has a dream about seven skinny cows and seven fat cows, and no one can interpret the dream. And then for whatever reason, the cupbearer just, it pops in his mind. Maybe the Lord placed it in his mind, whatever. But then he tells Pharaoh about, the, about Joseph, this guy. He's two years late, but he finally tells him, hey, there's this guy that interprets the dream. He's in your prison. So this is what happens. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, I want you to underline both those scenes. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Can you pray with me really quick as we start the service? Father, God, we give you this time. God, let your word be opened up in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts. God, that we would take in, Holy Spirit, what you have for us. That, God, we would allow it to create a change in us. And that, Father, we would walk out of here with a knowledge and an understanding and God maybe even a call to be a little bit different than we walked in. in your name we pray, amen. So what do we see Joseph do when he is called by Pharaoh? He changes his clothes and he shaves his face. Well, he changes his clothes, we all pretty much know why he did that, right? He's been in prison garments for the whole time. He probably smells, he doesn't look good. He cannot go see the, the head of all this land in these clothes, okay? So that one we can understand. But he shaves his face and he shaves his face. Now, don't forget where, how Joseph grew up, right? He grew up in a culture that had their faces unshaven. A lot of times they left their faces unshaven and they had beards so that they were set apart from the rest of the cultures so that people knew, hey, these guys are different. But Joseph knows, hey, he's got to go and to be different, not just physically with his, with his face, but spiritually he's going to have to go be different. But physically he's going to have to shave his beard because to enter into Pharaoh's court, he had to be clean shaven. So Joseph takes the time to physically be ready when the window of opportunity approaches. And that's what I want to tell you, and that's what I want to show you here, is Joseph is ready for his window. That Joseph, and don't forget, he's been in here for 13 years. He's been in Egypt, 13 years. 
13 years after he's already had visions of himself being a ruler. Remember that? Remember at the very, very beginning of the story when he had that big old cloak of many colors and he was dad's favorite. And then he goes and tells all those stories about the dreams that he had. And he's like, yeah, and there were moon and stars and they bowed to me. And then there were wheats and they bowed down to me. Remember that? Remember that guy? And so it's been 13 years since he has seen that vision. And then he is thrust into Pharaoh's presence. But before he gets there, he is ready and gets himself ready physically. Now, I would say this, that not only is Joseph ready physically to approach Pharaoh and to jump through the window of opportunity that God has opened, but he has been preparing and he is ready also mentally and spiritually, most importantly. That as much as he gets ready physically, that spiritually and mentally, Joseph is ready for this opportunity. And a lot of times for us, we seemingly are in the 13-year gap period between what we feel God has asked us to do and called us to do and shown us to do and the period of time where it actually happens. We're in that 13-year gap period. And that's difficult for some of us, right? And in fact, what happens a lot of times is that in that gap period, one of two things happen. The first one is that people begin to lose hope in the promise that God made for them. And they begin to feel like it'll never come to pass. They begin to feel like, hey, this is just where I'm always gonna be. And they begin to get lazy. And they begin to become content with just being okay. Well, I guess this is how it's gonna be. And they stop preparing for what God has for them and they begin to become lazy and they begin to become depressed and they begin to become downtrodden and they're just like, well, I guess this is always how it's gonna be, huh? This is just how the world works. And they've shifted their sights on what God is going to do for them and shifted their sights on the circumstances and the surroundings that they're in right now. And what happens is when the window of opportunity is open, they are not ready to approach. That when God calls them to the throne room, they're like, uh, oh man, I haven't, I haven't really done what I was supposed to do. I haven't, been, I haven't been reading. I haven't been praying. I haven't been preparing for this moment because I just thought it would never happen. And they become lazy in that time. And if you are in that moment, can I just tell you this? If you are in the moment where you're starting to become content and just kind of like, all right, I guess this is always how it's going to be. I guess that vision that I had for who I was going to be, that man that I could have been, that woman that I was going to be, that mom, that dad, that, that, that vision that I had, I guess, I guess it's never going to happen. So I'm just not even going to try anymore. If you're in that moment, I would tell you stop because that window is coming. And it is your duty while you're in that 13 year period, it is your duty, your duty, your call to be ready to be preparing. Look at Joseph. Do you see what Joseph does? Does he ever take a day off of, of, of preparation? What does he do when he gets to Potiphar's house? He works his way. He learns. He learns how to, how to navigate Potiphar's house. He learns how to orchestrate, how to organize. He learns all that stuff. And he learns how to, to the point that he's second in command in Potiphar's house. What does he do when he's in prison? Does he finally say, well, I guess this is never going to happen for me. I guess I'm always just going to be like this. No, then, and when he's in prison, he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to learn here. And he learns and he continues to learn and continues to grow and he continues to work hard. Even though he knows this isn't where he's supposed to be, he knows this is where he is today, but he's ready for the opportunity that might come tomorrow. And for those of you that have lost hope in that opportunity that might come, I'm telling you, do not lose that hope. Be ready because that window might open. 
But the problem is that some of you are in that camp and that was great and you feel really great. But, but, but some problem that happens in our, our culture, and some of you might be guilty of this, is that you like having the excuse of your surroundings. You like it. It has become, in some ways, a comfortable temptation to always be able to say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's the way I was raised. It's my heritage. It's the way that I look. It's just the way that I am. I can't change that about me. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be my fault, but, but remember my household had a lot of turmoil, so that's why I react the way I do. And you have put yourself in a position that you always have an excuse to not be ready for your window. Can I be honest with you? That excuse is no good in the eyes of God. It's not. And I'm not trying to diminish what you've been through. Please hear me. I'm a kid and a child of divorce. I get it. I understand what it's like. I know that sometimes life circumstances are unfair. I know that sometimes things happen that are outside of your control. I am not trying to say that those things do not happen or that they do not hurt. But I am telling you this. They are not something for you to lean on as an excuse for not being ready for what God has for you. That's not, that's, you don't want that. You don't want to use the way that you were raised or the way that you've grown up or the things that have happened to you in your life to be an excuse for why you cannot do and accomplish the will that God has for you. Because he has some great, great things for you. He has some things that we're gonna talk about in a second that honestly are the greatest things in the world. And if only you are doing your part right now to be preparing and to be ready for that moment, are you going to be able to be able to jump through that window? And Joseph does, right? Joseph doesn't use the excuses of his surroundings to not be ready. Joseph doesn't say, hey, it's not my fault that, that she lied about me. He doesn't use that as an excuse to not be ready for the window. He doesn't even use the way that he's dressed to be as an excuse. He physically gets ready. He's been mentally ready, and he's been spiritually ready. Now, how do I know this? How can I draw that conclusion from Scripture just from reading that one verse? It's actually the next verse because the next verse when he's in front of Pharaoh, it's this verse where Pharaoh makes a seemingly harmless implication, a seemingly harmless, just, just kind of assumption on, on Joseph's part that, and the way Joseph responds tells me that he's ready, all right? This is the seemingly harmless, the nothing. You probably skimmed through it in your Bible. You probably didn't even notice it. I went to Sunday school my whole life. They never taught me about this verse, but this is what Joseph says. In fact, sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes in, 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 uh, in Sunday school, they would actually refer to Joseph as how Pharaoh's about to refer to him now. And it says this in verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you. I don't want you to pay attention to what he says. I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Three you's in there, right? I've heard it about you that when you hear a dream, that you can interpret it. And how do I know how can I know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that this whole 13-year gap period that Joseph has been sitting there not seeing the fruit of the vision that he had, how can I know that he's been preparing for this moment? It's because of Joseph's response to the seemingly harmless question because he doesn't say yes. He doesn't say, yeah, that's me. He doesn't say, I am who you seek. He doesn't say anything like that. Look at what he says. Then Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. It's not me. 
but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. What does Joseph do when seemingly harmless praise is heaped onto him? What does he do when someone implies that he has supernatural power? What does he do when someone says, hey, I heard this about you. What does he do? Instead of concealing the true nature of where his success comes from, he reveals in the great reveal who is behind all this stuff that Joseph is all about. He says, it is not actually me, but it's God. He gives them the great reveal of who is behind all of Joseph's success. Now, if you have read this story, if you have heard Pastor Jim over the last couple of weeks, you know this is a reoccurring theme that is said in Scripture by the narrator, the narrator who's telling the story. He says, and because God was with Joseph, then Joseph rose through the ranks, right? And it says, because God was with Joseph, then Joseph, you know, rose through the prison guard. He says all that, like the narrator says it, but Joseph hasn't said it yet. Joseph hasn't said it's because God. We haven't had that opportunity from Joseph, except for the one time when, uh, when uh, Potiphar's wife wants him to, to sin with him. He says, why would I do such a great evil against God? That's the only time that you can actually remember that he gives that glory with his mouth. But when the Pharaoh, the king of the land is saying, hey, I heard this about you, Joseph takes the time to say, actually, it's not me. It's God. And I would just challenge you in asking when someone says something great about you how many times do you humbly say thank you and how many times do you reveal the true nature of your success which actually has nothing to do with you now I'm not saying you don't work hard because a lot of you work hard and God uses people that works hard I'm not saying you're not educated because it's true. You're probably really educated and I'm not saying God doesn't use people educated. In fact, what I would say and I would make the argument that that is part of the getting ready process to be educated, to work hard, to always prepare yourself for the moment that God has for you. But do not, this is, this is how he said it in the early 2000s. Don't get it twisted, okay? Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted thinking it was about you. Don't get it twisted that because you work really hard, that's why you have success. And in fact, if I could just tell you something, for those of you that have worked really hard but haven't really put God in the equation, have you noticed that sometimes there's not a lot of success in there? And you come out real empty? And you come out being like, man, that did not work out for me? Man, I have all this training and I still am not being elevated to where I feel I should? Like, do you ever find yourself in that, in that spot? You need to realize right now that the person behind your success as a father, as a mother, as a businessman, as a lawyer, whatever profession you have, whatever thing, whatever identity you have, it has nothing to do with you. You are simply playing the role in the greater revelation of who is the main character in this world and in your life, which is God, the spirit of God. And the moment that we realize that, the moment that we realize that, two things can happen. One, the stress of having to be successful, it kind of goes away on you, right? Because really, you're just a vessel. And so, hey, like, listen, if, God, if, I'm, if I'm with God and I'm just trying to follow God's will, then success isn't really in your eyes or in mine. I really am only to an audience of one. So I really, that's what I'm kind of working for. And number two, 
You are actually going to find, even if it's not physical riches or success in the way the world's eyes work, you will find this eternal springing of life flowing inside of you. But it cannot be there until the great reveal happens. Maybe it is to other people, but it also should be to yourself. I need you to know this, that the success in your life doesn't have something to do with you. It has, the, it has everything to do with the opportunities that God's going to put in front of you. And how prepared are you to take those opportunities? In a moment where Joseph could take the acclamation in a moment where Joseph could take the idea of I am so great, I am this, I am that, he chooses to step back and to reveal who it is that is going to interpret this dream. Can I also tell you that that is one of the greatest, greatest evangelism tools you have in your belt? The idea that when someone says, man, why, hey, how come you're so happy? Hey, how come you're so successful? Hey, how did you know that was going to happen? Then instead of saying, oh, it's just because, you know, I read this book or, hey, you know, that's just how I am or anything like that, that you say it has nothing to do with me, but has everything to do with the God I serve and a God you can serve too. Do you know the kind of evangelism uh, tool that you have in that tool belt right now that this, all you have to do is instead of taking glory for yourself, which is difficult, that you just give glory to the Father. Can I, can I be honest and give you a personal application? I do not like speaking in front of people. And that's not a joke. I get nervous every single time. I should rephrase this. I love speaking in front of people, but it is not comfortable for me. Not at all. I do breathing exercises before I come out just to like get my heart rate down. I did not, honestly, I did not drink coffee today because I was reading and I know coffee can make you very anxious and I was like I was like thinking man I need to stop drinking coffee before I preach because I'm already anxious I don't want something to make me more anxious if you were to ask me and see me in high school you would have never thought that someone like me would ever stand on a stage like this because to be honest with you I just wasn't that person I wasn't that person that people thought were funny. I wasn't that person that people thought, like I never got voted for anything in my high school. I'm just not that guy. I'm not, I'm not a great salesperson. I'm not a great entrepreneur. I'm nothing. I am honestly just a humble servant of God. And when, and when I was 18, 19 years old, I just say, God, whatever you want to do with me. And he slowly, and I talked about this in other sermons I've done, I just slowly walked through the process of saying yes to the Father, of just having enough courage to say yes to the Father. I can tell you the first time I preached up in front of like 23 kids uh, and, I, and I was so nervous, much more nervous than I was to preach today. I was so nervous in that moment. Like I used to ask the youth pastor for like months, hey, did I do a good job? Hey, did I do a good job? Hey, did I do a good job? And the youth pastor finally had to say, bro, you're fine. Stop worrying, right? Because that was so ingrained in my brain that I would never be good at something like this. And so I know every time I step on a stage like this, it has nothing to do with me honestly and I would probably say that you should be thinking about yourself the same way that when you step into your workspace when you step onto the work and into your work environment when you step into your family when you're a great mother when you're a great father whatever the case is that you should be thinking this doesn't have anything to do with me now when that moment happens and Joseph reveals who the person is behind all this interpretation the next part of the story goes where Pharaoh tells him the dream. He says, hey, I had a dream about seven fat cows. I had a dream about seven skinny cows. And Joseph hears the dream, and God interprets the dream, uses Joseph to tell Pharaoh what the dream meant, which it means that for a time period, there'll be seven years of great harvest in Egypt. 
And then after that, there'll be seven years of great famine. So Joseph reveals the dream. And then what Joseph does is if you want to skip over to verse 25, Joseph then gives Pharaoh some advice. He says, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over all the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food in these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. And let the food become as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his servants. Now I want you to pay attention to what Pharaoh says in these next few verses. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? How does he describe him? In whom is the divine spirit? Or in some of your scriptures it'll say, In whom is the spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there was no one so discerning or as wise as you are. So you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people should do homage. Only in the throne room will I be greater. And I need you to pay attention to something so important that happens right here in the scripture. Is that Pharaoh does not choose Joseph because Joseph is organized, because Joseph is good-looking. He doesn't choose Joseph because he was a really great prison guard and a really great servant under Potiphar. He doesn't choose Joseph because he was his father's favorite son. He chooses Joseph, why? Because in whom, in whom is a divine spirit? In whom, who, who, what man like this lies the spirit of God? And since God has shown you this, this is what I'm going to do. Joseph inherits what I'm going to call true riches. True riches. Because he decided to step back and reveal the God that was inside of him. And because of that divine spirit that lived inside of him, Joseph was elevated not just to the position, because to be honest, if you're looking at this as the prosperity gospel, if you're trying to take what I'm saying right now and saying, all right, so if I do everything Pastor Charlie says, that that means that I'm going to get that raise. That means I'm going to have a lot of money in the bank account. That means my retirement's going to be well. I don't want you to think any of that. Do you know what the true riches really is? It's finally realizing after 13 years, after 13 years, what those dreams back then really meant. It's finally realizing after 13 years where God was leading him to. True riches is not going to be how much stuff you have. It's going to be, are you within the Father's will at the right time in the right place? Are you doing what he's asked? Are you realizing the vision and the dream and the promise that he gave you so long ago? Finally, are you ready to take hold of it? And you have to realize this. When Joseph had the dreams, he wasn't ready. Do you remember that, Joseph? Do you remember the Joseph from way back then, the kid Joseph, the 17-year-old, I know everything Joseph? Do you remember that, Joseph? Do you remember where he used to wear his long cloak out to see his brothers? Do you know why he wore a long cloak? It's because when you wore a long cloak like that, you didn't have to do physical labor. Like, you would get the cloak dirty. So he's walking out there with his long cloak, knowing that they can't ask him to do anything. All smug. 
He goes and he tells him these dreams that he's had. And he's like, hey, I had a dream that like all of you bowed to me. Isn't that so cool? Like, isn't that awesome? You all bowed to me. Remember that Joseph? That Joseph, even though he had the dreams, could not inherit what those dreams meant at the place that he was. He knew where God wanted him to go, but he wasn't ready. And it took Joseph 13 years to be ready to finally inherit the true riches of the vision that God had brought him. Now, was he ever outside of God's will? No, but he did not accomplish the vision until all this process had been done. He wasn't ready for the window until all this process had been done because if anywhere along this process, when that question, that seemingly harmless question would ask, instead of doing the great reveal, he would have done the great conceal. And until you're ready to say, God is above everything in my life, God cannot give you in your hand the true riches that he has for you. Why do I think this? Why do I know this? Let me use, let me use a simple illustration. These are um, lemon seeds. That babe, I uh, stole out of a lemon. So we're down one lemon right now. So I'll buy you one later. Um, this is a lemon seed. Do you know that inside this lemon seed, this little itty bitty lemon seed. There's life. Did you know that? There's life inside the lemon seed. Do you know that out of, out of a lemon tree, out of this one seed, a lemon tree could grow? And that 1,000 lemons per year could be taken off of it? And do you know that lemon trees can live almost 50 years? That means that out of this one little seed, and this one little seed, 50,000 lemons could come. But what needs to happen in order for this lemon seed to realize its full potential? I need to bury it. I need to bury it. I need to put it underground. I would need to pour water on it. I would need the sun to bear down on it. And that lemon seed would turn into a sprout, which would turn into a seedling, which would then turn into a What's a little tree called? A sapling, which would then be a mature tree. But do you know that in order for this lemon seed to become a lemon tree, that lemon seed has to die. That lemon seed cannot be a lemon seed anymore. That lemon seed has to cease to exist. Look at it. It's all hard on the outside. It's, it's not super pretty. It hasn't realized anything. It's so small. It's just sitting right there in order for it to be a full tree it has to be buried and it has to die it has to cease to exist in order for the tree and the fruit to grow and to come that's exactly what jesus has asked us to do if you have your bible can you can you just really quick go to john 12 24 if you don't have it if you can't get there in time don't worry it's going to be up on the screen i'm just going to read it from the screen actually john 12 24 Jesus is speaking to the Greeks, to, to the foreign people that are around. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it ceases to exist, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And then what he does in the very next verse is then he gives us the application to our lives. For he who loves his life loses it but he who, who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal. In different, in different 
scriptures in different versions, including Matthew, uh, including in Matthew, who say, but those who loses, those who tries to find their life will lose it, but those who loses their life for my sake will find eternal life. True riches is this idea of eternal life. It's this idea of like, I have life and I have life abundant and I have life with purpose. Doesn't mean that I just that I only live forever. It means that I live now. That right now, my eternal life doesn't happen after I die. My eternal life begins the moment, the moment that I inherit it. But how do I inherit it? I have to bury myself. I have to die to the things that I feel are so important. I have to die to the things that I feel I've held on to. I have to die to the idea of control. I have to die to the idea of being liked just to be liked. I have to die to the idea of everything that the world tells me I should be. I have to die and bury those ideas so that, so that, so that God can continue to move and to grow in me so that the day that I have true success, I actually step back and say, it's not even me. This isn't me. The me, the me died a long time ago. It was buried. It got thrown in a pit and was in a prison and was in Potiphar's house. And the person you see in front of you had nothing to do with the success that's in front of me. It has everything to do with a God that loves me and that grew me and that grew me from a little seed into a sprout, into a seedling, into a sapling, into this mature tree that can finally bear fruit. You want to see the vision? You want to see it come to fruition? You want to be the person that you feel God has put in your mind? That father that just knows no bounds of love for his kids. You want to know what it is to be the mother that is so patient and so kind in those moments. You want to know what it is to be a loving wife or a loving husband. Those visions that you have in your brain, you want to know and you want to see, you want to attain that, then you got to bury all of your selfish ambition. It's got to go away. To be honest, it is one, I just mentioned marriage, it's one of the biggest, biggest um, walls in a marriage is the selfishness that we have for each other. That's why God says, women submit to man and man love your life as Christ loved the church. Basically, hey, submit to each other. Love each other unconditionally. Bury yourselves. Stop trying to be the boss, stop making excuses. Well, I act like that because she acts like that. No, 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 that stuff doesn't work anymore. It works in your brain. You think it through. You're like, well, it makes sense if I think that way or if I move that way. Have we forgotten the verse, Christian? Have we forgotten the verse that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts? Did you forget that one? That the thinking that you have in your head actually might not be the best thinking for your life. That the way that you see how to do things might not actually be the best way to do things. Are you able to bury those things into the ground and to allow the Father to water and mature your life so that it can grow into a fruitful life? Or will you just be a seed on the ground in church? Because to be honest with you, there's a lot of seeds in here, right? A lot of us are seeds. We're just seeds that come to church and we're like, well, something will happen, right? I showed up to church. Maybe you thought that the only time you had to bury yourself was that moment at the altar where you raised your hand or you looked up at Pastor Jim or myself and you said, why? I got saved that day, so shouldn't I be fruitful? And God's like, no, 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 no. It's not a one-time thing, it's an everyday thing. That every day you wake up and your ambitions and your dreams, you push those aside and you bury those and you say, Father, whatever you'll have for me. Father, whatever it is, God, I'll do it. God, you want, me to, you want me to go to work and you want me to tell people about why my success is there? I'll do it. 
God, you want me to be at the gym and you want me to uh, be playing basketball with friends and, and you want them to ask about something and that instead of just saying, oh yeah, I work at a church, no, I actually start telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll do it. True riches come, eternal life comes when we submit and bury our own ambitions in our lives and we say, Father, whatever you'll have with me. Can I ask this last question before we close? How many of you have taken the time to ask the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Christians, I'm talking to Christians in this room, how many Christians in here have asked the Holy Spirit, Spirit, what it is, what do I need to bury? What is it that I need to bury? What is the weed that keeps sprouting up in my life and choking the life out of me? What weed do I need to pull out of my life so that I can be a fruitful fruitful, fruitful tree. Will you bow your heads with me today? For some of you, you haven't taken the step. You've come to church and that's awesome. Like, I love that you're here, but you have not taken the step of allowing God to be the God of your life. Do you understand that God came down as a seed to live among us, to be a servant to all, to wash his disciples' feet. That he died on the cross so that you could have life. And he wants to be the God of your life. He wants to be the person who helps lead and guide your life. He wants to be the savior of your world and the God of your world, which means that you're gonna need to step down and give him control. You're going to need to bear yourself and allow him to grow you. If today you want to take that step, if today you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, the Lord of your life, and your Savior, then with every head bowed and every eyes closed, what I want you to do is I want you to put your head up and I want you to look at me. See you. See you see you. See you. See you. See you. See you. those heads down. Could everybody in this room repeat after me? Father, be the Lord of my life. Jesus, be the Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Speak encouragement to me. Guide me. To those that looked up at me, can I just tell you, this is the beginning. You have made such a great, great decision. You've chosen to be buried and allow God to be the God of your life. But I don't want you to believe that it ends here. That would be me lying to you. That any Christian in here would tell you that it's an ongoing process. In fact, some of you Christians in here, you need to restart the process. 
because you've been sitting buried, but you haven't chosen to grow. I'm telling you today, make that choice. The world cannot be saved. People who are hurting and feel like they don't belong anywhere cannot come to know Christ if we keep concealing him and concealing the greatness that he's done in our lives. If we keep bringing up our circumstances and our excuses, they will only see him if we choose to reveal who he is and we grab on to the riches and the vision that he has given us. So Christian in this room, take that as your calling. Take that as your, as your marching orders to go out into our communities and to reveal to the people who is behind our joy and our peace and our comfort. Live those things out because people need to know and to see who the real savior of their world can be. Father, help us go do that. Holy Spirit, convict us. Let us know what we need to bury so that we can have better marriages, better family, but God, more importantly, so that we can tell the world about Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray, amen. If you need prayer today, there'll be prayer partners right over here, my left, your right. Other than that, we'll see you all next Sunday. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.